Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Coming up on Believe in Soccer, the loss of a legend, the death and influence of one of the game's all-time greats, Diego Maradona, as the footballing universe mourns the loss of a World Cup hero, the riveting Major League Soccer postseason continues too. The Shep Messing Podcast begins now. Hi and welcome. Every program of this kind has a plan, and ours was certainly to go in-depth on what could only be described as a dramatic first foray into the 2020 MLS Cup playoffs. Four of the first 10 games go to extra time or a penalty shootout to determine the winner. And indeed, we'll get to those stories. With Shep Messing, I'm Steve Cangelosi. On this Wednesday afternoon, the eve of the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States, comes word of the death of Argentine star Diego Maradona at the age of 60. Hospitalized weeks ago, Maradona suffered a heart attack at his home in Buenos Aires Wednesday. To understand the magnitude of the loss of Maradona to his native country, Argentina's president has announced a three-day period of mourning. Let me start with this, Shep. Did you cross paths with Maradona at any time? I did, Steve. And, and look, to put it into context, did I cross paths? Remember my teammate, of course, was Pelé. And, and the age-old argument during Pelé's era when Diego Maradona came on the stage was, who is the greatest of all time, uh, Maradona or Pelé? Now, of course, we have Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, but in those days, they were not friendly, uh, Diego Maradona and Pelé. Pelé didn't know where the antagonism came from, maybe just egos, maybe the world looking at two great players. To answer your question, I, I, I watched him, of course, his moment in the 86 World Cup that really catapulted him and Argentina to global fame. Many, many years later, uh, I think it was year 2000, I played in a celebrity uh, world game in South Africa for UNICEF, Europe against the rest of the world. I was actually on the team with uh, Maradona. And, you know, having never met him as we got together in the locker room, I, I went over a little bit in awe, introduced myself. And what did he do? He gave me a big hug. I mean, that, <laughs> that, was, that was part of the Maradona that captured the imagination of, of the world, his, his passion, his emotion, and the way he played the game. This is a loved but tragic figure of sorts. Maradona's demons were on display for everybody to witness. A friend of mine who's a sportscaster in New York, he called me and he said, is it a good analogy for me to say the soccer world has lost its Babe Ruth? And I, I, I said, that doesn't sound right to me. Mickey Mantle maybe is the better analogy. So loved by his fan base, but whose weaknesses largely defined who he was. And that's an inescapable part of the story when you sum up what Diego Maradona was. Steve, I think that that certainly is true. And I, you know, magical figures like Maradona, uh, you know, they, they walk the tight tightrope of a slippery slope of, of fame and fortune. And, and maybe those demons that haunted him also drove him to success on the field. 
you know, having said that, when moments like this come about, I always think that would Diego Maradona, if he were at the height of his career today, with so much more awareness about mental health, about drug addiction, uh, if he would have had uh, more support in facing his demons. But there's no question, you know the story. I mean, what he did for Argentina in that 86 World Cup, the hand of God, and later on in that game, one of the greatest goals scored ever, right? When he took the ball at mm -hmm. midfield and sliced and diced through seven England defenders. I mean, undeniable his greatness. And that's where he really catapulted with that World Cup to, to global fame. There was a statement from Pelé, certainly one day we will kick a ball in the sky above, but I want you to separate the two as players because this is not unique. Pelé or Maradona, Ronaldo or Messi. And I think fans today, and maybe those enough old enough to remember all four, you're going to get differing opinions on how to stack up those four in order of greatness. I mean, Maybe you can process this. How would you do it? Oh, look, it's very hard, Steve, for me to be objective. I've been asked this question for the last 30 years. And and really, maybe I, you know, hearing upon his death tempers my answer. But I, I always said very similar in certain parts of their game. They were both very strong, a lightning quick, couldn't be knocked off the ball, superb, can skin you on the dribble. I, I think both on set pieces, free kicks, spectacular. I, I think Pele, and again, I'm trying to be objective, I think Pele a little bit better in the air, his aerial game, uh, that famous header that Gordon Banks saved. Uh, but Pele was very, very good in the air. Diego Mar Maradona was good. And on, on Maradona's side, I think more physical. I mean, his quadriceps, his power, his strength, mm. he could just knock people over like a bowling ball. So very similar players in terms of how they played the game. Uh, you know, people ask me about Messi. Messi doesn't have the power and the strength and, and the brute force of Diego Maradona, but, but Messi has every bit of of the skill. You know, the other thing I think about is, of course, when you think about Argentina and, and Maradona, you mentioned uh, three days of mourning. They, I, I read somewhere they should have done 10 days because the number <laughs> 10 on his back, but he was beloved in Argentina in a way that Messi never has been. And uh, maybe because Messi went to Spain and Barcelona so early. And the only last uh, comparison I'll give is, Maybe it was the teams he was on. I mean, surely when he went to Napoli, Diego Maradona, again, he, he captured the imagination of, of Napoli, of the city, and of Italy. Uh, but Pele has three World Cups. Uh, Maradona has that one. Clearly, two of the best players in the history of the sport. It is impossible to make a transition from the loss of Maradona to the initial purpose of this podcast, a focus on MLS postseason, except to say, take a minute to consider the Argentine talent that's on display in MLS today, right? There were 23 at the start of the season. There are more than 40 now, and they largely represent the star power of the league. Diego Valeri, Gonzalo Higuain, Gustavo Bo, Lucas Zellerayan, former MVPs of this league, like Guillermo Barros Scoloto, 
And we can only guess what the influence of Maradona was on them, on their families, what influence he had on those players actually having a career. That's where it begins when you see the Maradonas as a kid, I would imagine. Steve, that's a great point, and it's what legacy is all about. And I'll add to that that when you speak to young, talented players in, in the U.S. now, players like Brendan Aronson, players like Tyler Adams, players like Caden Clark, and you ask them, which you always do, you know, who did you look up to? Certainly Maradona was before their time, but each of those guys, Brendan Har Aronson and Caden Clark and Tyler Adams, they know Maradona, and, right? So a part of their skill set, a part of what they emulate, what they strive to be, you know, that's, that's the likes of Maradona. Let's start with the stunner as we look back at these games. And they have been entertaining uh, to take us into the conference semifinals now of MLS postseason. Uh, and I said stunner. If that is a misuse of the word, then you tell me it is. But the Supporter Shield winners are out. Again, that happens a lot. As a matter of fact, they couldn't win a playoff game and they didn't score a goal. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Union. 2 nothing loss to the Revolution. That's about as flat a performance as we've seen a team have in that spot, Shep. They had nothing. Yeah, look, and, and yet I'm not stunned, Steve, and I'm not, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why, and then we could talk about it. It is so hard, and we know the history of Major League Soccer in terms of how many teams go on to win Supporter Shield and then MLS Cup. Uh, more often, they don't. I question the, the layoff that the team had right? I think these play-in games give momentum to the team that stays sharp, that wins, riding a little bit of momentum. Uh, so I think Philadelphia, you know, if they could wave a wand, they don't have that time off during the play-in games. I don't know how many days it was, but it's almost two weeks, I think. And then they play a New England team that all of a sudden is got a little bit of a mojo, a swagger. They have their DPs mm -hmm. back. Everybody's healthy. So I'm not sure if you ask Jim Curtin, how would you like to prepare for this game? I don't think he'd tell you I'd want that time off. Well, that was the big disadvantage, right? They had a 16-day gap between games, uh, along with Toronto, who we'll get to in a moment. Jim Curtin was named MLS Coach of the Year one week earlier. That is small consolation for his team season coming to an end long before he hoped it would. All of us, uh, coaches, players, everybody, support staff, we, we weren't uh, ourselves tonight. Uh, we didn't get the job done. Uh, again, it, it's difficult, uh, obviously, because in one-off games, you have to be uh, at your sharpest, um, but we weren't. So uh, it's tough to swallow right now. Uh, it's a disappointed locker room. Um, you know, there is no game tomorrow, so we're all disappointed and, and the season comes to an end. Um, I have to say I am incredibly proud for uh, the, the year that, that we've had uh, as a club, uh, for all the effort that the staff and the players put into the year uh, to get the first trophy is big, but this one, one hurt. New England has never won the cup. A performance like this is all it takes to have their fans saying this is the year. The top two seeds in the East are out. Why shouldn't they believe that? And they have a coach who's won it before. <laughs> Look, Steve, you know I don't, I don't really like predicting. We all have our favorites. We all like to analyze. 
I wouldn't put anything past Bruce Arena. I and I've been saying it, you know, all all year long. Anybody can win this thing, and and sure enough, Philadelphia, they're out. Toronto, they're out. In the West, they still have the one and two seeds. But you look at the path to get to MLS Cup, very undaunting. I think if you're the New England Revolution, very winnable game coming up now, uh, especially when Orlando. City's playing without their goalkeeper. So, look, it's one game at a time, but if you're Bruce Arena right now, you're feeling very good. I missed both goals, Buxa and Buchanan, in the New England game because I was still on Toronto-Nashville, like a lot of other people probably. This was another match where there was nothing flukish about the favorite in the game just being tossed out of the tournament. I never once felt Toronto FC was the better team in its loss to Nashville, an expansion side that's now won its first two franchise playoff games. I only wondered if Nashville would actually score a goal that counts. Three were nullified, but they got what they needed in the 108th minute. Vega gives that away. Adi Mokter now from Daniel Rios. Gonzalez able to cover, leads it first. Mokter Give me a thought on this. Was this more about Nashville or was this all along just too big of an ask for Toronto? Navigating the Canadian border, setting up shop in their temporary Connecticut home of East Hartford for a long time. They didn't seem right in this game. Yeah, they seem flat, Steve. And I think all of those are factors. I think the job Greg Vanny did, given the circumstances, given the nomadic nature of their season, uh, Greg Greg Vanny has every reason to be proud, but you know I rarely look at stats. But in, in this game, I mean, Nashville had 21 shots uh, to 12 for Toronto FC, and you and I were texting during the game. This was Nashville's game, and you're right. You know, could they find a way to get a goal? But uh, given how that game played out in the run of play, it would have been unfair if Nashville had not won. All right, I'm not going to harp on the drama of the New York City loss to Orlando uh, too much because a lot of time has passed between last Saturday and now, and we've heard a lot about it, except to say, as you've pointed out, uh, the Galese suspension, as expected, was upheld. Why wouldn't it be? He won't play the next game versus New England. Why do you think there was still so much debate, though, about the rule that nullified the Galese save? on the penalty shootout. I'll tell you what I think in a moment, but this is this is still a bone of contention for a lot of people, and you're a former goalkeeper. Well, first of all, the, the laws of the game remember the season, so it goes back to last year. Hmm. Remember in the Women's World Cup, they had a, a, a travesty with the same thing, booking the women, the goalkeepers, moving off the line too quickly. In the middle of the tournament, they tweaked it. It was so bad for the sport. I always go back, and, and not just as a former goalkeeper, whatever the laws of the game are, it should be in the spirit of the game. So for me, that is so picayune to, to retake that penalty and get a red card. It, that is not in the spirit of the game. I'll go a little bit further that when FIFA, in their ultimate wisdom, allowed penalty kick takers to do that stutter step to do a hop in the air, you know, then, okay, let, let's give the goalkeeper a little more flexibility to move. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you can't have it both ways. And I think right now it's not in the spirit of the game. I'm on board. I'm on board with what you're saying there, but here's where it gets tricky for me. And I have the same conversation with people about offside in hockey. When we go to videotape to potentially correct that too. See, if you're going to tell me, well, he was only off his line by 10 millimeters. Okay. Yeah. I get the frustration of that. But what if it's 50 millimeters or 100 millimeters or maybe uh, 1,000 millimeters? Okay, maybe now you're saying that's too much. Somewhere in that gap, there has to be a line of demarcation, right? There has to be somewhere where you say this is too much. So if there has to be a line of demarcation, why shouldn't that just be the goal line? That's why why I think this is is actually employed the best way it should be. Steve, I agree. I, I totally, I would never make the argument. You have to draw the line. You got to be definitive. I have no problem it being the goal line. But I go back to then don't let the penalty kick taker do a stutter step, mm. a hop in the air. And yes, you've, you can't just, you, it's got to be a hard, fast line. It can't be gray. I agree with you. But in, in that game, and you and I talked about it before it happened, if you're the referee, you don't bang the goalkeeper with a yellow card for time wasting, knowing that there's a good chance a penalty kick shootout's going to take place. So that on that we'll agree as well, and, and that's going to lead us to this this point in the program that I know some of our regular listeners have been dreading. Where did the Red Bulls go wrong in their loss to Columbus? <laughs> hey, Red Bulls, where did they go wrong? Look. It, they were always, I feel, punching above their weight a little bit. We had a lot of distractions during this past season in terms of the change in manager, Chris Armis out, Bradley Carnell uh, taking over, uh, Struber being announced. So we had a lot of things distracting from the fact, and it is a fact, that this Red Bulls team and roster, one of the lowest payrolls in the league. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, a modest payroll if you know how you're building the team. And there's been a vacuum here for two years since Jesse Marsh left. A vacuum. Robles gone, Bradley White, Phillips, Kamar Lawrence, Mario. The list goes on and on. And who came in? I mean, nobody came in. So my takeaway, where did they go wrong in this game? Look, it could have... it. It could have gone better. I don't go back and, and second-guess lineups. I don't second-guess uh, decisions by Struber. Uh, it was one game. I do look for signs. What does it mean? Does it mean Kaku is expendable in this team? Because I expected to see him in the lineup earlier, if not starting. Uh, where do some of the players fit in? Uh, Jared Stroud. That's what I think about. But all in all, when I speak Red Bull, and, and you know how I feel, th- this was a big turning point in the direction of the club this year. You go out and you bring in a big-time guy, Kevin Thelwell. You spend big-time money to bring in Gerhard Struber. That, for me, is a big sign that Austria cares. Well, the goal at the start of the second half was a killer. Not 30 seconds into the second half, Red Bull is scrambling. Darlington Nagby scores to give Columbus a lead. It would never relinquish. This was the captain, Sean Davis, on that very important moment in the game. There's always going to be key moments in the game. And, you know, um, we have to do our best to put out fires. You know, one thing we always talk about is being good five minutes after the goal. So, 
after scoring. And so for them to score an equalizer, um, that was disappointing. But I think that we weathered the storm. We got to halftime and we were able to regroup and we were feeling good about things. But we knew that they were a strong team coming out of halftime. And we talked about it. And, you know, words are, are one thing, but actions are another. And so to give up a goal right after halftime, I think that's the most frustrating part of the game for me. Um, and, you know, those are key moments in matches where, especially in the playoffs, we have to be better. Can Columbus win the whole shebang here or not? Yeah, I think they can, Steve. For me there, look, you look on paper and, and you got to play the game, but we talked about this Columbus team prior to Red Bulls playing them. Uh, real good in goal. I think room is big time in goal. That back four, the central pairing, uh, excellent. And, and their midfield. I, I don't know of a better midfield in Major League Soccer. When you have a guy like Nagby sitting in a deep position and he can mm. get forward and not only score a goal but be a playmaker, uh, the three in front of the uh, Nagby in, in the midfield. Uh, Pedro Santos had a great game against, uh, yeah. against Red Bull, a great game. And then Jossi Zardis up front. So I, I don't think there's any question if they get there, they can win it. The most dramatic game of the first round, I thought, was Sporting Kansas City's victory over San Jose. This had everything. It had late goals by both teams. It had the Wando moment, which I know a lot of people in the league loved. Tim Millia's three saves in the penalty shootout. Did you ever go three for three? I should start with that. Anything close? <laughs> yeah, I did four out of five once. Got us, Excellent. Yeah, got us to the Olympic Games, uh, that U.S. Olympic team. But uh, Millia was superb. And, and I want to talk more goalkeeping when we get to Seattle and, and the save Stefan Fry made against Carlos Vela. But mm -hmm. Tim Milia, look, he's got the stats. He's got the record. Uh, he's fantastic at penalty kicks, and he won that game for him. Uh, last week I said, uh, is Sporting Kansas City on your radar uh, to win MLS Cup? You, you were kind of cool on that notion, but now keep something in mind, okay? Philadelphia and Toronto are out. So Sporting Kansas City doesn't go on the road anymore. That's it. They could win MLS Cup just by staying at home. Are you a little bit more of a believer now, or does the shootout do nothing to sway the big picture for you? Yeah, it doesn't sway it for me because, okay. you know, that to me, look, the San Jose is not a great team, right? They've been Jekyll and Hyde all year. But but how in the world do you, you let them back in the game? It was a dramatic game, but – there's some real flaws on the defensive side of the ball in that game for Sporting KC. Look, do I have a th think they're a good team? Absolutely. Uh, are they playing at home? Yeah, I, I don't put as much merit, and we've talked about that, given the pandemic and a limited crowd. But they're certainly in it, but you would have thought they could have handled San Jose in a better fashion. All right, let's get to the game, everybody felt was the most anticipated game uh, of the opening round. Seattle, again, the gold standard. 3-1 winners over LAFC, which was missing important players. They still fielded a very good team. The consistency of this franchise really is the envy of the league. You wanted to get to the Vela penalty. You thought that was important uh, in the big picture here. And from a goalkeeper's perspective, why? Yeah, and, and really, re just to point out something that many fans really don't realize, and penalty kicks come to the forefront, of course, here in the playoffs, right? We've seen a number of them. We could see one in MLS Cup Final. And what most people don't understand about what's going on when a penalty kick 
is being taken, I could tell you what, because I studied it from every angle, data, analytics, probability, and psychology. And it would surprise most people. Let me tell you how it works. For the penalty kick taker, the guy who's taking it, his best probability, and this is from data comprised all over the world, Europe, South America, his best probability is to shoot directly down the center. Why doesn't he do it? Because of the psychological factor of how bad he'll look if he hits it down the middle and the goalkeeper doesn't move. Now the goalkeeper, same thing. What's his best probability? The analytics stats show, don't guess, don't dive left, don't dive right, stay in center. Why doesn't he do it more often? The same psychological factor. He's afraid mm -hmm. how bad he'll look if it looks like he's not making an effort. So for Stefan Fry facing Carlos Vela, those two players are so strong psychologically mm -hmm. that each <laughs> one took the highest probability. It's just something to bear in mind as we watch these penalty kick shootouts. I don't put Fry in the conversation of best goalkeepers of his era, but man, has he been in the center of a lot of big moments. Many, many big moments. Uh, I want to get to Brian Schmetzer on his big three. Nico Ladero, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and Jordan Morris in the win. I mean, all of the money players, everybody that we pay money to play this sport had a big game tonight. You know, the first goal was unbelievable. Raul, Jordan, Nico, second one, corner kick. That's just Raul doing what he does. He's an assassin in the box. You know, the transition goal, Nico, Raul, Jordan. Yes, the big three did their jobs tonight. They earned their paychecks. But I think what I'm most impressed with is the fact that this game was never going to be easy. We knew Bob was going to have his team ready. He's a great coach. That's a great franchise. It's just testament to the qualities that we have on our squad that we're able to beat a tricky opponent when some other top seeds couldn't this evening. And again, kudos to those three, but they'd be the first three to tell you that they couldn't do it with the people behind them. You said New England could win it. You said Columbus can win it. But if you're handicapping this, Sounders are favored right now in your mind. That's where I think you're taking me. Absolutely. And I'll take you someplace else first about an individual player that I don't think I've given the credit where credit is due. And to be honest, I don't watch every single game in the West. I don't watch Seattle Sounders often enough. I thought Jordan Morris was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely superb. His speed his passing ability, his intelligence. That game, I think, epitomizes what I haven't seen enough of from Jordan Morris. I mean, if he could play like that, he's a big-time player for me, both for club, we know that, but also for the U.S. national team. That was a terrific game by him. So a lot of excitement, and Minnesota made it seem home ho-hum. 3 nothing winners over Colorado. Uh, quick thought on Adrian Heath's team. Uh I don't think anybody looks at them as playing MLS Cup December 12th. Uh, should we consider that more seriously? 
Yeah, look, I love I love Inchi and, and, you know, I love what he talks about. I don't want to hear about tactics, you know, run, shoot, win the ball, tackle, get forward. I, I don't think talent-wise uh, they're up at the upper echelon. And, and really, you know, I think their sternest test is yet to come. Uh, but I wouldn't write them off. I mean, everybody who's in it right now, I think Steve can win it. Last thing we'll get to, Sporting Kansas City will play host to Minnesota, by the way, in the round of eight. And that's FC Dallas eliminating Portland in a penalty shootout. And I think you and I were communicating uh, via text as all of this was unfolding. You said, oh, boy, that's Jimmy Maurer with the moment at the expense of Giovanni Savadise. For those who might not be as NASL savvy as you, what's the connection? Yeah, that's a, it's a great storyline. And the bottom line is Jimmy Marrow has kicked around in his professional career. And when the New York Cosmos relaunched in, I think, 2012, in at that time, the NASL, Giovanni Savarese was their coach. Jimmy Maurer was his goalkeeper. And, and Jimmy Maurer did a great job for them over the years, winning multiple championships for Giovanni Savarese. But as many coach-goalkeeper relationships go, a goalkeeper often is the first one to get yanked when things aren't going well. And I remember many times, and I'm close to, to Gio and, and Jimmy, and I remember many times where Gio, out of frustration, would yank Jimmy Maurer, give somebody else the starting job for two or three or four games, and before Jimmy Maurer went back in. So they had a great relationship but I, I got to think that it's, it's a little bit of poetic justice for Jimmy Maurer to make that save, win the game, and then, then give his, his former coach, Gio Savarese, a, a big hug. Uh, uh, very disappointing for Gio Savarese, but I sent Jimmy Maurer congratulations. Big moment for him. Well, they did have a big moment earlier this year, Portland, uh, winning the MLS's back tournament. So we'll leave this here. We'll be back after the dust settles from another round of the MLS Cup playoffs and what's a pretty sad day for the sport. A day where we lost the great Diego Maradona at the age of 60. We'll talk to you next week. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.